What it do, fellow gamers? It is I, Steve, of the Dear Apparition Podcast, your favorite host. Even though I know you're all saying Hunter, don't worry. I know what you're really thinking. Uh, I'm over here joined with Hunter. Say hello, Hunter. Yeah, hi. Good job. And uh, over here is Rue as well. Rue, how are you? Well, yeah. What's going on, Steve? How you doing? Thank you. Thank, thanks for the lovely introductions. Now we got that out of the way in this crispy 28 seconds. Uh, we are joined here with the elusive Rob Parr of the Deer Hunter. Rob, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm. I'm just been. I've been very busy eluding. So <laughs> it's been. It's been a long day. Ro- Rob Parr of of the Deer Hunter of planet of planet Earth. Yeah, uh, the man, the man, the myth, the legend, and also named after Robert Parr of the Incredibles. That's that's also true. We agreed you wouldn't bring that up, man. <laughs> we had the Incredibles conversation, and you fucked it up. Anyway, Rob, how, how you doing, man? We haven't we haven't talked to you in a little bit. Uh, I know you're kind of winding down from tour. How how have things been in the past uh, couple of months? Um, they have they've been fine. They've been normal. They've been normal home things. What what does normal home things look like for you? Like how to? I'm kind of skipping forward a bit because normally we, we we talk about like what you do outside of music later on. But you know, let's let's mess up the format a little bit. Like what is what is a normal life for Rob Parr entail? Um, I manage a coffee shop. Um, Ooh. Uh, I watch and play soccer as often as possible. Um, and then I you know like sit at home and and play guitar and watch Ghost Adventures sometimes. That's mostly it. That's pretty much the whole thing. Oh, <laughs> that does sound like the life of a king, to be honest. Uh, how long? How long have you been uh, doing coffee stuff? Like, is it uh, is it kind of like uh, Nick Solcedo? He's like kind of a, he's a beer snob, or you like a coffee snob? Um, I I, I mean, I don't want to say snob because that's really not the word. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't. Wanna, <laughs> that's a little but, pejorative. I, I just mean no, like, no. I'm. Do you have a refined? Do you have like a refined palate? Enthusiast, I think, is like the less offensive one. Yes. So my my other position with uh, the same, so like the shop I work for is, is an Akron company, and we have four locations. So like I manage one location, but my other position with them is I'm our product manager. So I'm basically like the head nerd. So yes, in short, <laughs> you have quite the the management aptitude because you also do some some managing work for the Deer Hunter on tour, don't you? Yeah, I've I've been managing my whole life for like a while now, you know, I just manage my life. I manage the things within my life. I manage the things I manage within my life. Do you see, do you secretly have this whole podcast kind of like an an itinerary planned out? Like, I'm not going to say I already recorded it, but you know, (laughs) well, how did you, how did you get started doing that for the deer hunter? Because I know that um, you guys used to have someone else doing it and then you just enjoyed that kind of side of it. Like, how, how did you figure out that you just wanted to, uh, take already all the busy stuff you were doing and make it even busier. Um, it's kind of a, a personality trait kind of thing. You know what I mean? Where like it, it's just I I like organization. I like logistics. I like all of those things. So it, it's stuff that I, in one way or the other, am paying attention to anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And the reality of the situation is, it saves the band money when one of us could do it for less than we would have to pay someone else to do it. So. It's kind of a uh, a win-win to some extent. So does that mean that when you don't come to someone's town, we can blame you, or is that a different type of man? Absolutely not. That's our that's our booking agent. That is not okay. me. <laughs> well, well, we'll make sure that we send our ire that way then. Steve, did you want to take a question? Because I, I I don't want to dominate the beginning of it like I always do. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, one thing we've noticed from just trying to set this up is you're a very hard man to get a hold of. Uh, is there any reason why you keep your uh, Instagram private or you just stay away from social media or whatever? 
I'm not really a social media guy. It's not a, a thing for me. I don't really, um, I don't know. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I think it's kind of potentially dangerous for the soul to, to be able to curate your own reality that you participate in whenever you want. And for most of us, it's, it's too often. So it's not really the kind of thing that I am normally into. Um, I basically, I ended up making an Instagram, uh, more or less during a period of my life where I felt very isolated and very alone. And, and, you know, in, I've now been touring for like, this is year shit. I don't know. This will be year 14 or something like that. So a a lot of people I know are from other places. And obviously I am friends with different people that are also musicians and they live somewhere else or they travel a lot. So um, I wanted to be able to kind of reconnect with those people and, and, you know, I'm doing air quotes, but see my my friends uh, more than I'm normally able to. Um, so that's why I got back into it. And realistically, the reason I, I keep it private and the reason I'm a little, uh, I don't know, I end up feeling bad because I definitely have had like Deer Hunter fans in the past that try to follow me on there and I end up saying no. But it's really just like, I, I try to really reserve it for people I know fairly well for the most part. Um, I, I want it to be a place for me to feel comfortable being open or, or vulnerable or, or you know, any of those things, it's, it's, I want it to be as comfortable as a space for me as it, as I, it can be. I'm sure that sounds dramatic, but it's. No, I mean, yeah. I get it. I have, uh, I, I get, I was telling before we started to uh, Hunter and Rue that um, when you start getting like above a certain threshold with followers on Instagram, especially you get all mm-hmm. like weird messages inbound or people like responding to your stories of just like just weird replies or you get like weird inquiries and stuff like that. So it definitely makes sense. I actually rebooted my Facebook for that reason. Um, mm-hmm. My initial Facebook, I was getting added by like a lot of local musicians or people like that I've done business with. And now I'm just trying to keep it strictly to like, if I met you in person and we agreed to add each other, then let's do it kind of thing. Right. And like, I honestly, I don't even, it's not like I mind getting messages from people or anything like that, just because that's still me. Obviously I'm able to, to control the, the output within or my output within messages or whatever. But as far as like, I just don't, I don't want the point of it to eventually become this thing where I'm like, just trying to promote stuff or it's banned content or I have to, uh, you know, I don't want to talk about something because of who is on there and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. Do you ever find, cause I know a lot of musicians struggle with like, I don't necessarily want to call it the musician's ego, but um, just kind of the, the expectation of popularity or fame, or just kind of having some sort of critical or musical claim. Do you find that disconnecting yourself from that, like being off social media has kind of like helped you keep your success in perspective? I mean, I, First of all, thank you, because that's a very flattering way to word all of that. But I I think it's just music is something I'm fortunate enough to get to do as a job. Uh, And that's all it is to it. You know what I mean? Like I my Instagram would be private if I only worked at the coffee shop or no matter what I did. It's it's not this isn't about what I do for a profession. It's it's about my personal life and, and the uh you know my my ability to filter the people that i get to participate in so to you you don't necessarily feel like uh rob par the musician you're just rob par the guy who plays music sometimes no not at all oh okay 
I, well, I, I, maybe I'm mischaracterizing what you're talking about when you when you talk about how, um, you know, music is just something you're fortunate enough to do. Um, do you do you feel like a like a popular successful musician? Like, do you kind of feel the the effects of fame or anything like that? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think you would have to have some version of fame to feel the effects of it. Um, but yeah, no, I don't. I, undoubtedly and clearly you know like not everyone in a band gets to tour not everyone in a band that gets to tour has fans not everyone in a band that gets to tour that has fans has fans as, as great as ours so that's definitely not lost on me but as far as i don't know how i think of myself personally or the when i think about me and my life the things that i am undoubtedly you know i'm a musician that's just factual but it's just like I'm just a guy that has guitars. Yeah, that's for for me. My outlook of it is like, yeah, I, I play guitar with my friends. Well, are you a bit of a are you a tone snob at all, or like a, a gearhead with uh, your guitars, like specific and like what guitar you use or what kind of yeah. setup you use? Because I saw that ev- that everyone in the band now uses uh, the Line Six Helix. I do not. Oh, that sh- that shit terrifies me. <laughs> so what's your uh, what's your setup like? Like from the guitar, like why do you use the one that you do and all that? Um, so the main guitar I use live, um, Casey and I designed for me, <laughs> so that's why I use it. <laughs> so it's a Cave and Canary guitar? <laughs> yeah, it's a, the, the two guitars I use live, like as of this last tour, I now have a second Cave and Canary guitar. Um, but like I have this blue one and it's actually only one of two and uh, Eric, our merch guy, has the other one. Oh. But I, I mean, you know, it's it's something we we designed and built specifically based on my preferences and the things that I liked. Um, and I would like to build another one in the future, but I would go with some some different pickups, I think. But yeah, it, it's I'm I'm annoying as hell about tones and things. What's your uh, go to rig? If you just had to build a pedal board right now for like an off the cuff show, what would you put together? So I have. Oh, I mean, obviously a tuner. I use the Polytune just because I do. There's not really a, a reason, if I'm honest. I do like the ability to just step on it, check all the strings at one time, and walk away if you're like in the middle of a song or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely that. Um, and then there are a few companies slash guys that we've been working with for a long time that are, have been mainstays on my board. Um, I have this fuzz uh, from Archifacts that... Aaron gave us it was basically a prototype that he gave us and I don't remember if we were if it was before a tour if it was before I don't remember what we were doing but he gave it to us just to check it out and stuff and I just kind of absolutely fell in love with it and it became uh, my kind of go-to fuzz and um, that original one we actually ended up raffling off at the camp we did so someone else has that one right now hmm. um but he he was able to build me another one so that fuzz has to stay um i have a couple of pedals from small sound big sound that kind of don't leave my board at all uh one of which was a one that it, it's called a, the hawk <laughs> that i guess he only made so many of them but it's like um that fuzz sound specifically is a, a really big part of uh act five actually act four and five really um, so that one has to stay so long as we're playing some of those songs. Um, Earthquaker devices are, you know, they're in town. They're probably a five-minute drive from where I live, and uh, the Westwood is the 
the pedal of theirs that I don't think I could do without. I'm considering buying another one. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know Nick likes the Westwood too, uh, Solcito. Yeah, the Westwood's a great pedal, and I've got a handful of their pedals, but that's the one that is just always on the board. Um, my my main my like heavy uh, heavier overdrive, I guess, mm-hmm. is this. I don't remember where he's from. I want to say Sweden or so, it's. I think it's a Scandinavian country, but um, the company's called Himmelstruts. And the uh, the pedal I have is called the Feto Feto Custom, I believe. Okay. And that's rad. And then just um, my my Strymon stuff. I, I couldn't. I don't know what I would do without my Big Sky or my Timeline. So those. That's that's it. That's ne- that's nearly my whole pedal board. Those are all the things I require. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. I guess if we go backwards in time, then so how did your interest in music kind of how was that born? How did it come about? Um, you know, I. I don't know. I, I guess to some extent, it's like I always assume everyone likes music. I always assume everyone has an interest in music. Um, mm-hmm. So th- I think that was kind of you know just there already. But um, and I talked about I got to talk about this a little bit on the tour we just did during the night one. But um, my one uncle always used to play uh, harmonica and I, I genuinely as an adult have no recollection of if he was even any good at it. I am told that he was, but, um, it just, it seemed so magical that he was just like making these sounds and they somehow were able to kind of coax a feeling. And, and like, I don't know, it's, I think that was the first memory at least I have of like, it's pretty cool to, to play music. That's awesome. And then how, how how did you get started as a as a musician? By playing trumpet in the school band. Oh uh, hell yeah. <laughs> Same here. Yeah, I play, I was a I was a trumpeteer um for well I would say I'd still am one at heart, but I haven't played trumpet in probably five or six years. But I played from like uh early middle school up to, all the way through high school and we did like competition marching band and stuff. So I was I was pretty heavy into playing trumpet. Nice. I ended up bailing on it in high school um, in favor of soccer and guitar. But yeah, I do love the trumpet. What made you go for that? Did you just was it just a resignation? Like, ah, eh, well, I got to do something. I may as well pick up a trumpet. And- so the the way it worked in my school was like there was a a kind of I don't know introductory period where everyone got to try to play all of the instruments to see which one you would potentially have interest in. And uh, that was just the one I had interest in. That's awesome. And then I guess the people who weren't interested in anything would play like drums or something. <laughs> or, or they just, they didn't do the music. <laughs> I, ha- I had to pick a cello. I picked cello and baritone horn. Those are my instruments. And then nice. like, I got to a point where... That's quite a, a partnership. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. And then I got to a point where I'm like, because I couldn't play cello anymore when I got to middle school. And then after baritone horn, I'm like, I want to be a little bit more in the foreground. So then I went jumped to clarinet, and that is not my instrument. It's not mine either, but it is my favorite timbre. Yes, it sounds awesome, but I just, for some reason, just the idea of constantly buying the reeds just did not resonate with me. Yeah, I, I understand. <laughs> the way I started out in band, I, I haven't told the story to anyone before. So this is a Dear Apparition exclusive, but I, I didn't start playing trumpet. I started by playing piccolo. And the reason I wanted to play Piccolo was because that's a character Dragon in Ball? Dragon Ball Z. There he is. <laughs> oh my God, that was such a fucking guess. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, that was probably at the time, maybe 11 years old. And I was like, hey, Piccolo, just like that character from the show I watch. And then I played it and, and hated it. So uh, 
that was a very short-lived my my career as a pickleist or whatever they're called what a change of course too huh <laughs> yeah i went from very quiet and, and twittery to very loud and in your face although i think a trumpet is a very good representation of my character in general because i am pretty uh <laughs> i don't want to say like loud mouth but i i like to kind of you know talk to people and i like to be noticed and things like that so a trumpet i think is just a good manifestation of my personality you landed on your spirit instrument I think so. Yeah. Well done. And I think that's kind of how I naturally transitioned to guitar too, because at the time I was playing it, you know, guitar players were considered like the cool guys and it was the cool instrument to play. And so I, my whole life has been dictated by what others think of me. So that's <laughs> none of my, none of my choices are my own. I understand. How did you, how did you transition from trumpet to guitar? I got bullied into that shit. I mean, <laughs> not, not entirely like that. It wasn't like you have to quit trumpet and play guitar. Um, I actually, ended up wanting to play bass um, because I don't know, that just seemed like the coolest instrument in the world to me. And I'm, I feel like I'm very rhythmically oriented. Like in a band context, I always pay the most attention to drums. I'm always the most interested in drums. Um, so I just wanted to play bass, but my one uncle, other side of my family, um, this makes it sound like my family is very musical. These are like my two, the two musical people in my whole family. Um, but anyway, so he was a guitar player and he's like a 80s, like can play all the Van Halen songs guitar player. Mm -hmm. And so when he found out I wanted to play bass, he was like, what, six strings, too much of a challenge for you or some shit like that. <laughs> and I was like, in your face, let's do this. So that's how I ended up playing guitar. <laughs> do you invite him to your shows just to rub it in his face? Just be like, huh, look. I can play six strings just fine. <laughs> I mean, can you get a six string bass and just start genting about? I, I don't think that would have been for me. I don't think that's for <laughs> me now. <laughs> I mean, do you play bass now at all or no? Yeah, it's the funnest instrument there is. Oh, cool. I mean, would, would you ever consider doing another project just where you play bass instead of a guitar? Um, yeah, I, I more so, I think, just like jamming on bass. I, I would rather play in a band where I play drums. Oh. Because apparently I'm part psychopath, so my desire to hit things <laughs> is strong. So you're competing with both Knicks right now. Uh, for yeah, yeah, that's what I like. So I mean, I know I'm making this about instruments, but what it is is I just when I was a kid, someone named Nick made a really negative impression on me, and now I'm just gunning for all of them. They're all going down. <laughs> you're just coming at, coming after all their positions. So awesome. Nick, all the Knicks are on notice. <laughs> Oh my God. When you started uh, playing guitar, when did you transition from just uh, a dude who was just playing guitar in his room to someone who like, what was your, your first band or like, how did you decide you wanted to do something with it more than just casually? I don't know. I think it's, it's like inherently part of it to some extent. I can't imagine being content just playing guitar by myself. It's like, that's the whole magic of, of playing instruments is when you start playing with other people and especially when, when you're younger and actually have no idea what you're doing, but manage to make things with other people that kind of you're like, holy shit, does that, does this sound good? Am I hearing this right? <laughs> We're doing something that sounds good. And I, I have not specific memories necessarily, but I, I have so many vague fond memories of like just smiling during band practices or jams or whatever but i don't know yeah i feel like that's the goal i think if you're especially like if you're <laughs> i can't imagine the dude just with a drum kit at his house and that's it i'm not saying that person isn't there i'm not saying it's not fulfilling for them i'm just saying 
the desire to band together is strong. So it's like that tree fell in a forest thing. Like if 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 someone plays music in their room alone, yeah, does it make a sound? <laughs> it's kind of it's a conversational great <laughs> in in nature. Like mu- music, uh, I think there was a there was a quote I heard a while ago about how music is the one language that is both untranslatable and and universal. Um, and it it just it it transcends so many like uh, language and cultural boundaries. And so it's there's there's a kind of conversational um, element to it where when you get with other people and start playing, you notice that your playing kind of evolves around theirs, and it, it becomes this whole different thing than just sitting there playing you know by yourself. For sure, and that's an incredible quote too. By the way, I, I wish I could remember the the actual quote. I'm I'm probably butchering it and taking all the. The, the inside out of it <laughs> i feel like music is translatable though and to an extent where like you do know that certain keys and modes translate to certain emotions as well as like your tones and your approaches on things i mean i fully agree with that and i think that's partially why it's so um exciting when when you're first playing music with others and you are feeling things and you don't really understand why and you are speaking this other language that you didn't even know you could speak and you didn't know your other friend could speak it either you know what i mean so there's a lot of excitement just in in the the making of music because of the kind of i don't know if if it helps any i did find i did find that full quotes uh it's by claude levy strauss and it says uh since music is the only language with the contradictory attributes of being intelligible and untranslatable, the musical creator is being compared to that of gods, and music itself is the supreme mystery of the science of man. So a little, a little more pretentious than I think I categorized That's quite it. pretentious. He, he, he went pretty hard, yeah. Well, he's also a Belgian-French anthro- anthropologist. I totally didn't Google that just now. I was about to look that up, too, because I thought it was the Levi Strauss of denim fame. Uh, Big same. But uh, apparently not, huh? No, he's, he's an old old man at least if i if i'm trusting this quote on the internet that i just found but i I read it somewhere a while ago and i I just thought uh, that first part was was nice to kind of explain how music uh speaks to you as well as not really saying anything like you can you can have the same musical passage mean two things two different people and the the message is just as real so it's it's interesting in the the way that it kind of evokes emotions without actually um saying anything at all he's also a controversial figure so i'm just going to x out of this now (laughs) <laughs> okay i'm trying to remember there's it's not even a similar quote so i don't know why i would say that but as far as like the uh emotional relevance i can't remember what it was it was uh, from a Sartre book or a Camus book or something but it was the character was listening to a record being played and he had said something to the extent oh fuck i'm gonna butcher it now of like how he was basically saying how how music is both so powerful and so fragile where it's like you can feel in in such an, an incredible way about it you know and it could it could influence your day it could influence your mood it could influence everything but um also at the end of the day it could just be turned off or someone could could mess up a performance or there are all these things that could take you out of it you know what i mean yeah and i've, I've often thought about kind of the universal qualities of nature like um how how like a major key kind of sounds happy to us and and two people with completely different music sensibilities can probably get that same kind of feeling from it whereas like a uh, a diminished key sounds very like kind of um mm-hmm. moody and and uh, cryptic um and it's just it's interesting to me how how these things kind of uh, transcend yeah. basic human consideration it's interesting to know about how 
at the end of the day, it's just our, our brain decoding intervals and uh, th- these really specific kind of fractions and, and ratios, and they kind of translate into really nice, harmonious sounding, you know, music. And another thing I love about it is the kind of therapeutic effect that music has. I'm actually mm-hmm. looking at trying to get into, you know, music therapy uh, as, as, as a career. Oh, awesome. Uh, just because of the, the profound effect that music can have on the brain. And also it's kind of therapeutic effects for people with various different uh, impairments or, or problems, things like dementia mm-hmm. or, you know, learning difficulties, everything like that. Like music has such a profound effect. Well, how how wild though, too. I mean, you know, it, it really is, like you said, just the brain decoding intervals. But it, it's it's so crazy to me that we all decode them the same way universally. Mm. And, and my understanding as well is that science still doesn't really understand how any of that even makes sense. <laughs> like no one really... I, I've, I've pondered it and I, I've taken some like anthropology classes. So I, I've kind of connected the dots a little bit, whereas... Uh, it, it kind of derives from our uh, the the intonations we initially used to communicate with each other before we developed language, like how animals oh. communicate with each other through tones and things like that. And each of the tones means different things. Mm. So I I think it stems from that part of the brain. Once once we developed language, we cut out the part of our brain that really needed to use that as much. I mean, obviously, languages like Mandarin are still very tonal languages, but uh, I, I think as far as how they they kind of uh, transcend languages and stuff is is because of that part of our brain that kind of decodes meaning from just tones it could explain why people from like china and that that generally people tend to have perfect pitch over there more so than in western countries where the kind of tonal speaking isn't such an emphasized part of the language well the fun thing about mandarin is that in the military they won't let you become a because i was a translator in the military they won't let you learn mandarin unless you're a musician that's cool hmm. because because like the the same word can mean a million different things depending on the tone that you use when you say it that's well, it's kind of i guess also kind of like to an extent how cats are like um cats will actually reflect the like they'll imitate the voice of the person whose attention they're trying to get like uh and to get what they're wanting so for example if there's like if there is a woman that feeds the cat it would like do a higher pitched voice but if it like wants the attention of like a guy like an adult it would do like a deeper kind of meow so duplicitous those cats yeah that just makes me want to hear like cat music like what (laughs) music the cats would make um yeah well my cat was just about to make that music and i just got him out of here thankfully i'm trying not to get him back i know relatively few cat bands so i've I've yet to find that record we're we're gonna we're gonna (laughs) have to start it up See, you've always kind of had this uh, this interest in music. Uh, it seems almost like it kind of pulled you in. Like it's it just seems like common sense to you that people are interested in music. Uh, when did you like? What was your first band? Like, when was the first time that you like started performing and like playing with people? Um, I mean, my my first like actual, it would have been high school probably. I think. What kind of did you play music similar to what you play now, or is it uh, stylistically read a different place? Or no, we we played what I refer to because this is a univer- This is a band in every town in the country in the same age group. I just straight call it high school music because it's like it, you're in that period of time where you're trying so hard to do something interesting and you want to prove to everyone that you're you listen to all kinds of music and you're going to be so creative that this funk part is going to go into this metal part and then maybe you play the funk part in a metal style and oh, then that yeah. breaks into like a reggae bridge somehow 
It's one of those things, you know? It's just like, I feel like there's so many bands like that. And it's just, there's... It's just there's a no, crock pot of ideas. Yeah, there's no real focus, you know what I mean? <laughs> it, it's just like, and now this kind of part, and now this kind of thing. Well, I, I know that you, um, I, I think you were playing with, because we talked about this a little bit before the show, how you played with As, as Tall as Lions uh, for mm-hmm. a little bit. And I, I think that was before your tenure with The Deer Hunter. So how did you go yeah. from playing... Um, playing kind of amalgamated high school music to touring with you know pretty established band like as tall as lions um i don't know actually uh, it's it's <laughs> just wound up on stage with a guitar you're like what the fuck I just... no it's it's a weird story actually just because like what it what it basically was was i um and, and like and my girlfriend at the time were fans of their band so you know we would go to their shows when they played cleveland and stuff like that and then eventually my you know, basically, I wasn't in high school at the time, but basically my high school band um, opened a show for them in Akron, and by some weird roundabout way, before they, like they were just getting ready to put out that uh, self-titled record, um, and they decided they needed a touring musician for it to do keys mostly, so Mm. they elected to ask a guitar player from Ohio to play keys in a band from Long Island. Okay. Um, so it's it's all a bit confusing, but <laughs> I think, and I don't want to misquote him or anything like that. But Dan, the singer, I, I think was maybe the person who decided to get a hold of me, and um, I, I think he had said something to the extent of like he just felt like I understood music to some extent. I don't know. I don't know the right way to say it. Do you still work with them, or uh, like I, I'm not really sure what they're up to these days. To be honest. Um. So mo well. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure either. I mean, um, I, I still talk to a couple of them occasionally, but it's basically like one dude writes uh, songs. Like, not, I, I say pop songs, but I just mean like he writes songs for other artists. Um, one guy does a bit of that and also still has his own projects. One guy, I think, works on like uh, jingles and like music for commercials. Jingles sounds so weirdly derogatory. I'm sorry, Sean. I wasn't disparaging your <laughs> trait. It's not a pejorative. Um, and um, then the other guy, I think, has a, like, uh, I'm not sure what kind of tech company is specifically. I don't remember what he had told me. I want to say it's like a search engine optimization company or something like that, um, but still plays sometimes, I think. I've often wondered because, I mean, since I, I have so many friends who are musicians and a lot of them are trying to, like, establish themselves as musicians, and some of them have gotten pretty far. Like, I've always wondered if there's, like, some sort of, like, um, um, sacrifice you make when you go from like uh, just writing music with a band and, and trying to make the music you want to make to going to making jingles or writing music for other artists or something like that. Do you, do you think that's something you would ever consider? Yeah, um, I think it's just a different thing. You know what I mean? I, I would imagine the gratification you get out of it's a little bit different. Or maybe there's no gratification at all and you're just comfortable with writing music as a job so you you know focus that into whatever pays the bills. You know what I mean? It's like at the end of the day, a job's a job, so... You know, you, you do what you do. Um, yeah, I'm not one of those purists who thinks that uh, music has to be entirely artistic and has to be like deep in an expression. Like, I, I think music can just be whatever it needs to be for, for the, the, the time that needs to be it. Yeah. And I, I think, too, though, like if you're a writer, it, it could be that, you know, you're you're great at writing, but bad at singing. Or it could be that you're good at all those things, but you don't want to tour or you don't want to you know, uh, be a public person or, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm sure there's many sides to it. 
So when you when you're on tour with as as, as tall as lions, you kind of just uh, I guess would it be accurate to say you kind of lucked into that? Uh, to some extent, I think there is a matter of right place, right time. But mm -hmm. I think I would have to give myself some credit that I do feel like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, even if you know, I at the time I wasn't a keyboard player, but it was just a matter of kind of figuring that out. The the I, th I think like to some extent with certain instruments, it, it the physicality is more what you have to learn if you know you know a certain amount of theory or if you could understand how an instrument's laid out. Not that I'm super proficient theoretically, but proficient enough, I guess. So how did uh, how did you transition from touring with as tall as lions to to being with the deer hunter? Was it did you go straight from one to the other, or was there like a period of time in between? Or um, both. So towards towards the end of as tall as lions, they basically like had decided to do a tour. So like the core band was four people, but live we ended up being six. Um, and so they wanted to, I guess, do a couple of tours to, as just the four of them, to kind of see if they still wanted to do it or not. So I more or less had uh, nearly a full year off from doing that. And then um, the Deer Hunter was going on tour, and the Deer Hunter had toured with the Stalls Lines a bunch of times and, and throughout the whole band, you know, throughout the whole time, all the, all the varying members had become friends to some extent. And so a couple of the guys in the band at the time were like, Hey man, you want to come out and play keys on this tour for us? It'll just be a fun thing to do. Um, and so I did that. It just kind of as a, for fun, not expecting it to like be a gig kind of thing. It, it, it was just framed as a like, you know, we'll hang out. It'll be a good time. Um, and then basically two guys quit the band and uh, Casey asked me to come back and play guitar and when so it was like uh, the the first tour that was just for fun I think was like the end of 2010 it was with Coheed and Porcupine Tree oh okay and then yeah and and then at the beginning of 2011 I don't remember exactly when I want to say it was like March and then into April I went straight from doing farewell shows with as tall as lions in Australia to starting um, the tour with Dredge that the Deer Hunter did, and so that was kind of my first real tour with the Deer Hunter, and they did sort of quite literally like to the day go into one another, <laughs> but um, you know it, it was definitely the end of one thing and, and the the very happy beginning of another. That actually is a pretty incredible kind of series of events because um, I'm, I'm not saying like it's a, a pay your dues type situation, but a lot of people, you know, they just keep climbing up this ladder of, of music until they get to a to a position where they where they are. And it seems like you, you know, just from being in the right place at the right time and, and knowing music the way you did, knowing the people you did, you ended up with a band that was already pretty well established and then you went to the, the Deer Hunter. So you've had a pretty uh, good trajectory as far as your music career goes. Yeah, I mean, it. I, don't get me wrong. I think it was definitely still a pay your dues thing. You know, when when I had started with as tall as lines, we were definitely still sleeping on strangers' floors and things like that. It wasn't, uh, you know, there wasn't a tour bus or anything. The the buses even knew for my time in the Deer Hunter, let alone the whole history of the band. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think when you've been doing it, it as long as Casey has, or, or as long as even I have at this point, there's. It's it's nice to have earned it rather than like had a hit song <laughs> and then been like, well, this is our second tour ever. We're in a bus now, yay! So it's it's cool, man. I'm 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 very grateful for the whole ride and for the whole experience. And I think 
for me and, and what I had ever wanted to do in music, it's there could have been no one at any show I have ever played, and it's just like I've gotten to, I, I've, I don't know. It's been cool. <laughs> it's been a cool time. It's been a weird, cool time. <laughs> I guess that leads into another question of uh, it's one that we we ask other people as well. But if you had an unlimited budget to just do what you wanted with, you know, as a, as a music project or as a passion project, uh, what what do you see yourself doing? Well, that's a crazy question, man. I've never even really considered that. You know, it's like with with the band. You know, we we especially since we all live so far apart it's very objective like work day kind of stuff where i'm not saying that in the way that we don't enjoy it i'm just saying it in the way that we have to be very intentional with our time Mm. so we're just kind of like getting together getting to work and then for me when i'm writing music on my own it's almost it's almost accidental in the way that it's like i'm just messing around on a guitar or something like that so to 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 have the idea of a, even a budget and then to need to figure out what I would do with that budget seems crazy to me. I feel like it would just be deer hunter stuff, but we would be in some remote awesome place that we could just hang out indefinitely. <laughs> um, we've like Casey always mentioned this, but we had talked about trying to like go to Edinburgh and just live there for a couple of months and make a record together. But I don't think we quite have uh, have that budget. <laughs> you guys just did the uh, Fascio tour about a month prior to recording this. Um, so I know you, I know uh, you guys did the Fascio tour for a couple of reasons. One of which being that you wanted more time to kind of experience the uh, the cities that you were visiting because. As a touring artist, the only thing you really get to experience are like local McDonald's and stuff on the road. <laughs> um, do you? What do you typically do when you're on tour? Just whether you're on the bus or especially on this tour when you got to roam around, what are the kind of things that you found yourself enjoying doing, or you just find yourself enjoying doing just in generally when you're touring or playing on the road? Um, I mean, I, I think we definitely all seek out good food to varying extents. Um, there is we have we have clubs within the band there is a beer club and we you know seek out either really good bottle shops or really good beer bars um there is also what we call the fancy boys club and the fancy boys uh we like to find good cocktails um we uh will get some charcuterie sometimes we get fancy you understand (laughs) charcuterie <laughs> but no like my normal day and especially because just since I, I tour manage as well I end up being pretty busy I, I'm kind of a I don't know I, I need my alone time so I at some point end up walking around just by myself because I kind of need that um, usually like a group of us will go get coffee as soon as we're parked somewhere um, it, it really just depends on the day and, and on the Fascio tour there, there were so many logistic headaches and, and so many various things that especially on show days I unfortunately didn't have a ton of time to do as, as much as I would have liked but you'll you'll have that and I mean all the days off were realistically more more a product of the nature of the tour we were doing rather than intentionally to give us time in places I hate days off they, they just it's just where time and money goes to die so it's like that's <laughs> suboptimal for me 
um, you know, we, we do need them occasionally for, for Casey's voice or for a long drive or for whatever it is. But yeah, that was, it was just how the tour had to be because of the type of shows they were. You mentioned some of the logistical challenges. Uh, were there unique logistic challenges to this type of tour than usual? Um, yes, in a few ways. So it's like the one thing just in general was the nature of basically doing two tours at one time where, where night one was entirely different from night two. So it, it really is it basically two tours, like I said. Um, it's partially that. It's partially playing a few places we hadn't played before because we wanted certain types of rooms. And, um, you know, parking a van and trailer isn't always super easy. It's it's not always convenient. You can't always leave, or I'm sorry, a bus and trailer. You can't always leave your bus where, you're, where the venue is. You can't always stay there overnight. You can't, like, there's, there's a million little logistical minutia that uh, sometimes either line up quite easily and and then other times they just all shit on you indefinitely. So it felt like a lot of indefinite shitting. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, um, this tour was like definitely a first of its kind for you guys. Uh, what was it like? Did you enjoy yourself with the new format? I saw you guys were like really kind of cozy with uh, the night one where you were doing the... Uh, the acoustic set and the uh, the Makey Words podcast, if that's the name. I'm sorry if I forgot things. Um, but then on night two, you did the full-blown show with... Or you also did the video on night one, I think. Yeah. And then on night two, you did the full-blown traditional concert, but you did projector, projected images and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, it was kind of like the prep for it and how did the uh, the payoff feel uh, and compared to that? Because um, it seems like it just was a fun experience. It was in the way that it was it was different and it was kind of strange like the after the first night one and also like we went we ended up spending so much time rehearsing night two and and then having to we unfortunately didn't really have the time or, or the place to do a proper like uh pre-production show so it was like towards the end of rehearsing we're now trying to make sure the projector works correctly and that includes this new software and there's there were all those kinds of stresses and and uh specific things that we kind of we didn't really plan a whole lot on night one apart from like what songs we were going to play vaguely how the run of the show was going to go and we rehearsed the songs a couple times and it ended up being really fun because of that but i think too we were just kind of like the the first the first one in Seattle, it was just like, oh shit, what are, what are we gonna do, guys? How are we gonna do this? <laughs> but you know, we it, it went really well, and I think it wasn't it wasn't so much that we weren't prepared for it as much as it, we didn't know how it was gonna go over, because it ended up just feeling like, at least for me, it ended up feeling like just like us hanging out and bullshitting and making jokes like we do anyway, and it was like, does anyone? do people feel okay having paid to see us hang out is that what's happening but you know uh, it did the how did that feel for you guys was it was it just like watching watching people talk to one another or did were we all hanging out together or like what do you guys think being in the crowd is pretty cool i i noticed that um that it seems like that mm-hmm. there's uh it was a, the only thing i really noticed was a little disjointed between switching from the songs to the podcast thing but also i fully get it when you need time to tune and rest your voice and everything but um, it was just it was a lot of fun for night one, especially with the uh, with the video and everything. And night two was just a blast, also. 
So it was just definitely one of the most memorable tours for me. Yeah, it didn't really feel like we were watching, like we like we were just watching people talking. It did feel very communal, and you know, like we were involved as an audience. Yeah, and I mean that that was obviously the the intent was was to make it more of a we're all doing this thing together because you know obviously it's like mm. some of the questions were live some of them were dropped in a box at the merch table some of them were from the internet but you know we it wasn't we weren't super thoroughly vetting anything and you know what i mean like yeah it was it was definitely as uh off the cuff for us as as it was for for anyone at the shows <laughs> I brought someone who had never seen you guys before, and um, they they thought night night one was better than night two. That's wild. Um, well, I, I I don't want to say better as far as like they they didn't like night two, but they they really loved night one. They liked the 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 arrangements of the songs, and they they thought you guys were so hysterically funny that it was like watching a stand up act. And <laughs> cool. Yeah, they yeah, I mean- they really kind of liked night one. I, I could see the the charm to someone new to the band of night one just because it is such an unusual thing and I, I think you know like for me when I think about bands that I would like to go see it it would be cool to get that kind of uh, that personal insight or, or get that feeling of of uh, you know seeing the other side to these people. Um, but uh, part of me too was just worried of like if if someone has never seen the band before and they're coming their first show even if they have a ticket to both night if their first deer hunter show is night one that there's the potential for them to just be like what the hell is happening (laughs) (laughs) what is going on here well at least I, i can't speak for every single person but that person who had seen you for the first time night one they they really enjoyed the experience so i think it it paid off that's great i mean you know you guys know us we always are trying to do something a little bit different or or a little bit special so this was uh, i think a little bit uh bigger of of a step towards different than maybe we normally do but it's it seemed like it went over well so that's good to know i mean for what it's worth i traveled five thousand miles on an eight hour flight and it was well worth it for both yeah okay okay, rue Okay, just brag about it, why don't you? <laughs> yeah, he's he's flexing over here. <laughs> there, there was a, a guy from, was it Chile, who came to the Brooklyn one as well? Yeah. So I think he's got me beat in terms of distance traveled. And... Well, I think uh, if, if Hila had come, would, that have, would Israel have been further than the UK? It Definitely. might have been, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't really know my geography, but, uh, well, that didn't yeah. pan out anyway. But I was just flexing, that's all. <laughs> Well, you mentioned um, the bands that you, you know, would like to see. You'd like to kind of have a format like what we had. What what kind of bands do you find yourself listening to that you would want to go see live, or do you do you find yourself listening to a lot of new music, or is it just kind of you you stick to the things you already know? Or I don't know. I think it depends. Um, I definitely am checking out you know new music as as people kind of suggest it to me. Um, but at at least like. I don't know specifically in in that context i I, and i I don't know i feel like i'm always talking about this band even though i've spoken to you guys relatively little but um there's this actually they're they're from manchester uh elbow i would love love to see do a do a night one that would be yeah that would be great yeah i i wholeheartedly agree uh guy garvey actually runs a, a radio station yeah, uh, in the UK, and and he's he's a lot of fun to listen to. I would he's be a, happy to listen to him talk about anything. She's got one of yeah. those voices. <laughs> Absolutely, 
Are you fond of the uh, the new album? I am actually. Yeah, there's there's a few really like that that band is so infuriating because they're so good. They're just so consistently good that it's it's almost depressing that it's like why am I even doing this? Elbows here. <laughs> what what kind of for the for, for us uh amateurs here? What kind of music would you say it is? Is it uh does Elbow? It a, yeah. I think it made Rue's top album of the year, didn't it? Or one of them? Well, one of them, yeah. I was very fond of that album. I don't know how I would describe it. It's quite a mix. It's quite eclectic. Yeah. It really is because it's like calling it calling it rock, like I'm only even trying to do that because they have instruments. I don't know. Um it, it it's it's beautiful music for people that probably need to hire babysitters. Yes. <laughs> They're going to put yeah. that on the on the back of their their next album. Yeah, I could see them liking that. That'll pan out. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, uh, it is it is difficult to even pin down genres sometimes. Like uh, even the Deer Hunter, like people, uh, there's a kind of a running joke that people say, like, uh, what, what genre is the Deer Hunter? And the, the response is just an inclusive yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna start doing. That's perfect. I've had people say to me, "It's like, oh, uh, the Deer Hunter sounds pretty cool. What what should I start with?" And I'm like, "Well, what genre of music do you listen to?" I have from, like my bandmates who are more in the metal side of things. I recommend them like Act Three or like the Black EP, and then I have other friends that like more show tunesy stuff, like uh, like Broadway. So I show them like Act Four or Five, and then I have other people who are just like who like the loungy sound. So I show them like Pimpin' the Priest or like Violet or things like that. There's just really something for everyone. It's insane. I've never really seen a band like that. I have difficulties with genre labels in general because I, I talked this a little bit on our, our 2019 episode, but genre labels are just so so reductionist. Like they just, it's taking this this kind of wild thing that is music, and it's it's so kind of off the wall expressive, and, and so yeah, it comes from nowhere, and it's just sticking it in a little box. And yeah, and in a way, you know, it could just be an innocent thing of saying like, okay, it's just a way to help label. But in the same sense, you know, by by even putting labels on things, you're kind of restricting the creative flow of things that could come afterward because things that don't fit in those labels are kind of hard to expose other people to. I mean, yeah, but that's kind of the, the point. That's the point of organization. It's why we label anything is so we kind of know we have a starting point. You know what I mean? Because if, if there was no such thing as genres and anything, anyone's ever told you about it, music is just a band name. It's going to be really hard to, to find other things you like that maybe are similar you know what i mean i I totally get what you're saying i definitely think there's like a middle ground between like being able to appropriately label things to kind of get a good idea for what kind of sensibility it's it's gonna strike within you and like making it too much because there's there's some some of the genre labels are a little too specific i think like they just they they get to be a bit too much for me no i fully agree and it's like sometimes you hear people mention something that it's just always like the most ridiculous thing and it's like did you even say that sincerely that you're telling me genuinely there's a, a group of artists that sound like giraffe elevator piano rock like that's for real <laughs> but uh, yeah it's it's definitely strange i understand the function of it but i also understand the uh likely inaccuracy mm. you know it's just a starting point <laughs> To put you in the hot seat, since we're talking about how d- difficult it is to to label things, how would you label the deer hunter? I think my stock response is, I don't fucking know, man. Um, <laughs> usually, usually, I just end up telling people that it's kind of progressive rock or it's it's music for people that like math, uh, things like that. 
uh, it's just like um i don't know i mean you guys know what the band sounds like i i'm it's yeah. no easier for me to describe it than it is for you <laughs> i promise <laughs> We we had a whole we had a whole conversation about progressive music on our last episode and and kind of how that li- that label gets yeah Hunter's has a big distaste for it yeah that label gets really thrown around a lot and misused in in a lot of contexts and and so it's become this thing that's ironically unprogressive in that it's not really developing it's just kind of there's this core progressive sound that a lot of people seem to stick to and yeah I I think it does definitely get kind of reduced to certain uh tropes you know what i mean where it's like even i i do feel like for us for as much as there can be odd time signatures for as much as there could be harmonic modulation for as kind of adventurous as any given chord progression can be we're not like we're not riffy we're not not usually riffy we're not usually metal where you know what i mean like i think a lot of the things that people associate with progressive music in general let alone progressive rock are just things that were kind of vaguely near you know what i mean yeah i think that's the generally the the problem that i have with it is that it takes this this label that that should be um applied to almost everything whereas you know everything should be constantly progressing and changing and kind of pushing that envelope and it kind of it just uh reduces it to these these certain qualities and it's just it's boring to me um so I, I, I take issue with the label of progressive rock. So whenever it comes to like talking about the deer hunter, I try to avoid, you know, using the term prog just because it's. I feel like it's a gross mis- mischaracterization. Yeah, it is. There's there's just no at least that I have found there is no uh, better way to try to communicate it to people. And I think more often than not, if in in like just a uh i don't know you're going with anything you could think of or or rather you're you're talking to someone that likes a specific type of music if they like prog music they'll likely find something they like in the deer hunter whereas like just because someone i mean obviously i don't know i don't know what i'm saying (laughs) it's i I think (laughs) i think our discography uh is more directly palatable to people who like progressive music than necessarily people that like to me pop music is almost like the antithesis of progressive music not in the way that i like one and dislike the other but just mm. the very suggestion of, of progressive music is that it's changing and pop music is sort of more uh you know parts come back more frequently it's it's catering to what people like it is it there's different purposes i guess for for the two types of music Mm-hmm. Well, that's, it's also interesting that you kind of see them as, as different sides of the same coin, I suppose. Because have you ever heard of an artist like uh, Janelle Monet? Yeah. I, I would say she's kind of like progressive pop. I agree. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, I guess. And maybe that's what the appeal is to her, is that she kind of juxtaposes these two elements of like this this kind of um, tried and true catchiness with, with these interesting... Uh, but I, I consider something like what uh, Janelle Monet does to be more progressive than... Uh, I mean, I won't necessarily name drop, but you know, any any of the cookie cutter kind of progressive metal, you know, tippy tap kind of uh, progressive bands out there. So I think that's just why uh, the the label kind of just irks me a little bit. Yeah, and, I'm, and that definitely could be. But I think at the end of the day, labeling any type of art is only going to be so accurate. Yeah, you know. And that's like that's why a lot of times too. And if I'm honest, it depends on 
usually the age group of the person asking what the band sounds like. A lot of times I just say rock because that's the most simple way to put it. And that's what we are most of the time. <laughs> so, you know, to me, that's the most accurate. Well, with the deer hunter, I know that you guys kind of play so many different types of, of styles and, and, and feels and stuff like that. Is there, is there something that you've kind of always wanted to play that you haven't gotten the opportunity to yet with the deer hunter, like a style or a genre? Or? Not really. I mean, we, we, we do all the things I feel like. So <laughs> I, I think, um, any version of, of music that I could have wanted to touch on or would even know how to play, for that matter, mm-hmm. um, we've probably done, you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, you guys definitely have gone through the, the whole gambit. But you have, a, um, you have a side project where you just released something with a name, if you could pronounce, because I cannot, um, <laughs> where you just released a, a live acoustic EP. That, uh, that sounds really, really good. It's really impressive. And it's nice oh, to thanks. hear your... Uh, your chops like on a recorded project by yourself instead of kind of like you as backing vocals or whatnot. Hmm. So what kind of uh, came into the creation of that or that side project? You mentioned to us before the episode started that, um, that usually you, you've been working on it for like what, 15 years and uh, released like, and you released two EPs. (laughs) Something like that. I mean, it was like, I don't know. It just came, it came born out of, wanting to be creative outside of the bands that I played in at any given time, you know, where Mm -hmm. it's like us, us being any of those bands as a collective would write whatever we would write. And that sounded however it sounded, but sometimes I just wanted to work on stuff on my own and maybe it sounded different or, you know, whatever it was. But it's like when, when I started doing it, like I genuinely don't know when I put the first EP out, I think it was maybe Oh eight or something like that. But when let's see if we can get Craig on that. Oh, it's okay. It's we don't need the factual accuracy. Um, but at the time, um, I, I didn't really know how to sing. I like didn't really know how to mix a record. I didn't. I didn't really know anything. But I'm. I'm a. I guess I'm a little bit of a trial by fire kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So it's like that was the the first EP I put out, and then I put out another one, and like I don't know. 2013 or something 2014 um and both of those are like um actual band like it's it's you know drums bass piano guitars etc and that's all recorded solo or is that with uh session musicians um most of it i did all of myself um Hmm. on the second ep um i had a, a, a good friend of mine play drums on two songs i think um but yeah, for the most part, it was just something I was doing by myself when I had time kind of thing. So that's that's mostly why I, it's not like a big deal to me or, or something I wanted to push. Um, but I ended up recording this, uh, this acoustic thing. Um, one part because I, I, I liked the vulnerability of it as far as it just being a live acoustic thing. And most of the the songs are sad songs, so they kind of come across (laughs) well in that context. Um, But I just, I haven't released anything or or put myself personally out there for anyone, you know, artistically in a while. And I just felt like I wanted to do something. I had that. I had a couple of new songs I wanted to show that I don't have the full, like the finished band versions of yet. So I don't know. I just, I just felt like it was, it was time to do something. Well, it is. It is absolutely gorgeous. I was, 
I was talking to some of the guys or to the guys about it last night about how um, I mean obviously you have a good singing voice because you you sing during the deer hunter shows all the time but when you when you really came to the forefront listening to your most recent EP that you just put out yesterday it's it's absolutely gorgeous you have a great singing voice and it it absolutely stands up on its own so thank uh, you very much man that's, I, that's very I would love nice to hear you. more and I'm sure everyone else agrees now you and we actually got a question from Gavin too uh gavin said when will and i wonder if try and pronounce this aprevu is how you pronounce it aprevu yep i think i don't know i don't speak french <laughs> sick stuff when will aprevu <laughs> drop the full length on that ass oh yeah that's gavin for sure um i don't know <laughs> he he doesn't know either none of us know no one in the world knows um, isn't he supposed to be working on an album what's he doing sweat and rap about it I don't, you know, well, he's working on an album. I, I actually, that's what I'm I still, saying. He's supposed to be. I still it. have to record some things for him. So he's, he just likes to give me a hard time because he is a sweet, sweet man, and uh, he's just trying to motivate me to do something that he knows I, I like, when I could be bashful and, and hard on myself. <laughs> that's all it is. <laughs> it's Gavin being a good friend. <laughs> do, do you have like a vision for, uh, for a whole? I'm just going to say it and, and let it stand, but do you have a, whole, a vision for a full-length album, or, or is it just kind of one of those things that you just put out music in little chunks whenever you feel like it? Or is I, it more like a, uh, a Max thing where you just kind of have a hard drive of stuff that you never really intended to release, but just a bunch of ideas chilling there? I definitely have that. Um, <laughs> but um, I, 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 at least right now, have like an EP worth of, of music that is mostly done. Um, but a few of those songs have like companion pieces to them that are in way earlier stages. So I'm apprehensive to release, you know, part one without its part two for some of the stuff, I guess. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I don't, I don't procrastinate necessarily, but I just think when you're working on everything by yourself, that vacuum is so difficult to step out of like there's definitely at least three of these songs that i probably could have put out three years ago but it's just like no no i'll mix it again i'll mix it again (laughs) so it's it's hard to it's hard to know when you're done sometimes and do you find that sometimes i guess bits of self-doubt can also kind of hinder your 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 progress with with creating the music i know a lot of artists and musicians will get that kind of I guess imposter syndrome type feeling of feeling like that this isn't as good as the, the the perfect vision in my head sort of thing is that something that you've experienced um uh, for sure i mean it, in the way that just even sometimes you listen back to something and even it just by itself you're like this is not that strong or you know you, you listen to uh, another song and then think of what you're doing and you're like i'm not even what kind of amateur shit is this what am i doing like why why am i doing like there's um actually one of the songs in the ep that i uh had just released is a song called share the sting that when i first wrote it i i sent actually i sent it to gavin I, i sent a demo of it to gavin just to kind of to share it with someone because it's a, a really personal song and was really specific to something I was going through that he he and I had talked about a great deal. But um, basically, the thing that I mentioned to him that it was just like to this point, it was like so you know I'm going through this and I write this shit, but you write underestimate me, 
So that's just the difference between us. That's why you're incredible and why I don't release anything. <laughs> Do you think you could benefit from bringing in like a producer for it? Like I know like uh, Radiohead, they really struggled releasing in rainbows until they brought in the the same producer they had worked with before. Like they kept basically making this album that didn't feel right. And then bringing in that extra set of ears to kind of help shape this vision is what was helped. And in rainbows is one of their best albums. That's so you know, sometimes yeah. just an extra set of ears, like an outside perspective and removing yourself from the process can really help things come to be. But yeah, a, a million percent. I mean, I think that's that's true for, for any type of art that anyone is working on, regardless of the the intent of it. Sometimes it's just nice to, to you know, get someone that's detached to it to, to show you what it is because you're too close to really see the whole thing. But... Um, undoubtedly i could benefit from that but i think the i think the nature of this project to some extent has always been um me fighting myself for self-improvement to some extent in in one way or the other where like admittedly the recording of a live acoustic ep was to some extent to get me to improve my ability to do those things live but at least for me primarily right now the actual thing that i was after was the humbling experience of releasing something that i know isn't perfect and that i can hear isn't perfect and being content with the fact that none of us are perfect you know what i mean yeah i think something that a lot of musicians and artists who kind of have these feelings uh sometimes don't see straight away or at least take take to heart is this idea that what what you release is something you've slaved presumably hours and hours of work into and you know you're comparing it to this idealized uh, finished project in your head um which it will obviously never really reach and people listening to it aren't really comparing it to any kind of finished idea in their head they're just hearing it as it is and yeah i think that's something that is important for for people to right i guess for artists especially to kind of try to understand it, it's just tough to it's tough to have that clear of of a head about it or to yeah, have that um that that wide of a perspective because of course you understand that you you understand to some extent that inherently the the nature of creating something yourself means that you know it too well to really see it for what it is you yeah. know what i mean it, it's it's like it, it, i don't know it, it, it you you can't really know what it is and, and so you're comparing it to other things and the things that you're paying attention to aren't even really things that matter because they're not what other people are hearing or they're not the thing people are taking away from it you know what i mean um yeah so yeah it, it's it's just tough to have that perspective and it, it's as much as you may know that it's hard to like uh forgive yourself for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah just i guess internalizing it is the challenge for a lot of people you're bound to compare it to something else that it can't even really be compared to you know so yeah it's absolutely it, it could be emotionally taxing <laughs> from you doing all this uh all your stuff with your side projects and with uh being the touring manager for this band that's I guess you, it's really an internationally touring band. Um, do you have like any advice for up and coming musicians or people looking to go on tour or whatever that you can spread a nugget of wisdom with? I think the, it's a, 
it's admittedly a hard thing to to really crack into and it's a hard thing to get to do um there are a million and one little business tips that people could tell you or, or suggestions people could make that are probably effective and at the end of the day the things that are kind of important in a way that it's like well no shit is to be good at what you do be as, as good at the thing that you're trying to do as you can whether that's you know being proficient at your instrument whether that's uh, being proficient at your performance because maybe a lack of proficiency in your instrument is part of what makes your performance so great. Um, a good, this this ends up sounding ruder than I mean it, but a very good friend of mine who I've recorded a bunch of his albums of various projects and things like that. I remember when I first was kind of getting to know him, I was at an acoustic show he was doing. And at the time, he wasn't the strongest singer in the world. But what I had told him, I was like, your voice is just so fucking great, man. And he was like, I'm, I'm not even, I didn't even sing that well. I was like, I don't care because I believed everything you said. Every single thing wow. was said the way it should have been said. So it's like, sometimes it's not always about playing the fastest notes or the most notes or the anything like that, you know? So understanding what you're trying to do and doing it as best as you can is super important. But I think in general, in life, no matter what you're doing, understand that there's more to learn from any experience and understand how to implement those things or, or understand how they can benefit you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think that's the piece of advice you would have benefited from most? You know, if you could go back in time and t give yourself advice? Um, I, I mean, yeah, because that's obviously a very important thing to know. I, I think my, uh, the advice I would give myself is a little, a little different and a little more kind of like personally specific than that. But I, I think in general, I definitely could have, could have used that. I, and I think that's good advice for anyone, no matter what you're doing, because sometimes it's hard. Some, sometimes you, you just feel like something's going wrong or you feel like something's not going the way you want it to or you feel like mm. there weren't enough people at the show or like you didn't play well enough or you know you feel however you feel but why why do you feel that way what's the thing that caused it and you know if, if you can't figure out why then you're gonna <laughs> repeat the problem so I, I think that's just a good uh good good life advice that's awesome. I guess to uh, to pivot from music just a little bit because you brought up soccer earlier and how you you kind of you played when you were younger and you <laughs> still try to play as often as you can. Uh, I'm sorry, Rue. Sounds like you have a uh, you have a frog uh, of heresy in your throat. Just <laughs> yeah, it sounds, like you have some, sounds like you have some British in your throat there, bro. Come on, I I just can't call it that. I feel I feel <laughs> like an imposter. If you're like a red coat. No, I, no, it's not that. I just feel like it, it's like it's like calling an elevator a lift. Like I know it's what you call it, but when I say it, it's ridiculous. I get, yeah, you know? I get that. Especially because we already have a football. Like it's it's a little we weird. <laughs> but uh, what what's uh, how does football kind of play into? Like, do you do you play competitively, or is it just something do you just kind of kick a ball around alone? Sorry. I I I play as much as my body will physically allow me. Um, I'm usually I usually play at least twice a week, but usual or like lately I've been playing three times um, in di in three different leagues basically. Um, but yeah, that's it's just, it's my favorite thing. It's my I'm like a dog. Like I have to get my heart rate up to be happy. It's just the way it is. So chasing a ball around is is very rewarding for me. <laughs> 
That's awesome. Who do you support? Uh, so I don't really. I, I just I just I just like it. There are teams I don't like for some reason, but um, something kind of weird. Well, like not weird. Weird for me because I, it took me a while to understand this. But when I was a kid, I always used to. Um, I, I followed uh, like the uh, the Italian Serie A. And so, especially at the time when I was a kid, like you know, both Inter Milan and, and just AC Milan were both like the the big clubs, or at least the ones that were doing yeah. really well at the time. And so, even into my adult life, I was still just following Serie A. That was just the league that I knew best, and and what I've the the way that I like the game, I guess, because all these leagues are different. But then I also learned that if I ever wanted to talk to any other adult human around me about soccer, I needed to start watching the English Premier League. <laughs> Um, yes. So I do. Um, I don't know. For some reason, I, I, for some reason, I guess I'd say I support Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea there's no real. There's no real reason. That, that's that's fair enough. So so you, so you do watch quite a bit of the English league then. I, I I spend every moment I have that a game is on watching it. I just I was watching wow. Chelsea Arsenal when we got on mm. the call together. <laughs> So, so here's a here's a question for you then. What do you think of the the VAR system that's kind of come into place in the past kind of couple years? I th- do you think it helps or hinders the game? I think both, basically. I will say right now. So actually, Syria implemented it a year early compared to the English Premier League. Okay. So they have it way more like smooth than the Premier League does. It takes way less time to figure stuff out. A lot more of the times, the uh, refs on the field will go and check the monitor themselves. You don't see that as much in in the EPL. Um, I I think there's just going to be growing pains with it. I think people are bound to say it kills the game because, you know, it does eliminate some of the human error. But ultimately, a lot of the time, that's kind of a good thing because some of the things are super egregious or, or a little ridiculous, like they should be overturned. Or they should be allowed, depending on what happens, you know. But yeah. I, I get the frustration. It's just new. It's it's a new thing being implemented in an old game. <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, I mean, does, does this appreciation and love for football soccer kind of translate into video games as well? Are you like a FIFA guy, or it's literally the only video game I play. Yeah. I buy it every year. <laughs> I buy the new one every year. It's genuinely the only one. <laughs> I'm I'm not a video game guy. I heard that the the new one was kind of a, a disappointment. Like it was basically just the same game, but like worse as the previous one. You know, I didn't feel that way about it. For for me, what's been interesting is at least the pat. Well, yeah, I guess this FIFA 20 in particular. Um, it there's not that much new things. I don't know as far as the experience goes or the way you play the game, but I find that they seem to make the physicality of what you're doing more accurate. So it becomes harder that way because before you're just choosing a direction and hitting the pass button and regardless of what way your player is facing, they kind of make it happen. But it's like the odds of those passes coming off when you're facing the wrong direction have dropped drastically in my opinion yeah so i don't know i'm also i'm not a gamer dude so like to me i'm just i just get to do soccer in a different way i'm just happy i, I don't even care <laughs> so why what what made you uh early on in your life what made you pick soccer as a sport was it just you happened to get into it or was there something about it that particularly appealed to you over other sports 
Um, I it because it was sort of uh, translatable enough. So where I grew up, like basketball was the game. That was the game everyone played. That was like all I did outside all the time. Um, and then, for the sake of it being concise, my my cousin more or less um, was into soccer, and I don't know, I was probably nine or ten. Um, and I found myself playing with her from time to time and really enjoying it. And then I started playing on I started playing on one of her teams actually. And the coach had to explain what I was doing in basketball terms to me <laughs> until until eventually I understood what the hell was going on. But yeah, I don't know. There's just something about it that I, I like. Like part of the reason I can't get on board with football or baseball is there's too much nothing going on at any given point. It just feels too casual. There, there's not enough game. There's too much time to kill. Yeah, there is a lot of downtime, especially in football. Yeah, where they're they're set they're setting up and they're you know, all, all kinds of stuff. And I, I get that that's that's just how the game is. I understand that there's strategy to it. I understand there are people picking plays and all those things. It's just not for me. I, I like I like the I like the utilization and the relevance of space and movement in a game that's constantly happening. Do you at least get into like um, uh, what's the the football big? The big game called the Super Bowl. Do you at least get into like the Super Bowl or anything? <laughs> you just never watch game. Couldn't give a shit. D- does not for me at all. Don't okay. care. Um, I you're, found you're definitely a World Cup guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm definitely. I'm I'm a all the tournaments guy. I'll, I will I will watch any soccer game that's on television if I'm able to do it. I think I think you'd like the uh, the rivalry that my hometown have with a, with a neighboring city. Uh, I suppose you're you're aware of the rivalry between Portsmouth and Southampton. Not particularly, no. I can't say that I am. Yeah, so it it's quite it's quite the rivalry. It's based on like something that happened in history. Like I think some workers went on strike, and then people from Southampton kind of came over and took those jobs, and then it kind of went from there. And there's this massive kind of hooligan hooliganism kind of culture. Uh, especially with with Portsmouth and Southampton, it's definitely something to look into. It's really interesting to see because you do get, you know, kind of rivalries between loads and loads of clubs. But it seems like this kind of rivalry is it brings it to a whole new level. I like that it's based on history, though, rather than the game. You know, <laughs> that's that's interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically it, it's it's just it's just people who want to fight. It's literally like. The last time we had like a derby, it was it was held in Portsmouth, and the the police had to put out like a dispersal order, so where anyone <laughs> who was travelling in a group had to, uh, like the police could kind of say you need to split up. There's videos of people punching police horses and all sorts. It, it just gets so wild. Yeah, I I don't fully. I mean, I I like the passion, but I don't understand the uh the violence aspect of that that's that's the only thing about the game that i'll say i i is really upsetting and confusing is the fact that there's still so much racism and stuff it's like how is the this is an international game this is a game loved by everyone all over no matter where you come from no matter what you look like no matter anything why is this still involved you know is it the only sport that that's that's that big on an international level i can't think of any other sports that are so like universally ubiquitous as as soccer I mean, well, not everyone has like uh, has like American football, like uh, where you got cricket, right? Yeah, yeah, we got cricket. 
I mean, yeah. the, the the thing with cricket is no one, no nobody really knows how cricket works. Like, not even cricket players. <laughs> they just they just roll a die, and then you know that's the points for that game. No one, no one knows how it works. <laughs> that sounds like a delightfully British way to play a game. Just everyone go out there and just figure it out as it's going. Well, cricket games could go on for days, can't they? Yeah, is yeah. It because everyone just forgets what's happening. <laughs> I would assume so. <laughs> I, I'm not too well versed in cricket myself, but. I do know a lot of people who are really into it, into it, you know. And from what it sounds like, no one's well versed in cricket. Yeah, it's, it's the paradox. The only things I know about soccer come from uh, passing references in the IT crowd because I watch. <laughs> nice. I watch a lot of the IT crowd. So, like, when you guys were talking about Arsenal, I was like, "Hey, yeah. they always try to walk it in." Always trying to walk it in. <laughs> <laughs> and I was gonna, I was gonna say I support West Ham, but I didn't feel like uh, derailing the conversation because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> another, another controversial kind of thing that comes up with football fans or soccer fans is uh it is the whole thing of, about diving it is that something that is helpful and strategic or is it something that should be abolished and penalized i hate it so much yeah i hate it it's the worst it's i mean i i understand the kind of the strategy of it of if you know if you're a winger and you're pressing forward but you realize that you're probably not gonna get much further or someone's closing you down or whatever and you're going to lose the ball and you're just trying to make the best of it and retain the ball for your team i understand the strategic element of that but it's 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 lying it's disingenuous <laughs> <laughs> what is for for us uh non-versed what is what is this exactly it's it's when basically you throw yourself to the ground in such a way that you're hoping to make it look like someone fouled you. Wait, but there's what? no usually very little or no contact at all. Yeah, that doesn't it doesn't warrant such a. So it's like it's pretending that someone hurt you. Well, usually you part of selling the foul is that you roll around in in pain. Well, you you feign. Yeah. The pain, but you're rolling around holding a part of you that probably wasn't even touched. Like you've never been more hurt in your life. Well, I guess I guess I'm confused about what the debate is then, because that sounds like it would be pretty universally like, hey, don't do that. Well, it's it's you'd think, yeah, right. It's it's just commonplace enough now that it's. I mean, the NBA does that shit too, though. I would argue the NBA is. I don't know. They're both bad, but it's. I don't know, and it it varies from player to player. Like some people go to ground so easy at the slightest bit of contact, and I don't know. I just find that frustrating. Hmm. I, I know that. Uh, people have kind of said that the way you would stop that is the referee would kind of you would have to mandatorily be kind of sent off for like five minutes to get a, a, a air quotes checkup uh, from a medical professional before sending you back onto the pitch to play and i think i think that's how you would eradicate it they give the yellow cards for simulation it's just like what gets deemed a simulation is is so egregious that it's like what well, you know yeah what else would it be mm. we yeah we don't have to talk about soccer i'm sure this is not the uh the, no, the preferred right. topic of no it's fine it's interesting it's interesting anyway. to me. we're just expanding our audience no if i if i don't tell a joke within like 10 minutes i, I just explode it's it's just here let's just thing. let's I just understand. add a vuvu let's add a vuvuzela right here ah! <laughs> <laughs> okay just <laughs> please please put that in in post please <laughs> we will we will do it. <laughs> uh, well, I guess uh, to kind of bring this to a close, what we traditionally do uh, for all of our interviews is uh, we try to ask for like your, uh, I guess like bad toy stories in a way that like 
your funniest moments on tour or just like outrageous things that happened? I don't know if you have any that you'd like to share. Um, I have I have two. Okay, one is actually from the Facio tour. Oh, um, nice. And it's actually also from the Brooklyn show. Oh hell yeah! Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure we had to have touched on this during night one in Brooklyn because of how ridiculous it was. Yeah, Eric um, was mentioning it to me. Yeah, but so basically, and I, it's like hard to paint the picture for people that weren't there. But the venue was on. We were supposed to turn onto this access road that was next to a parkway. And for those of you that aren't familiar with parkways, it's kind of like a not quite a highway, but I don't I don't know. It's it's a very very main road. So we're supposed to turn down this access road next to that to pull down to load it uh, into the venue from right in front of it. Well, the way that cars were parked, we couldn't make the turn. So we're doing everything we can. We physically move a motorcycle, all this stuff. And I, you know, also now for our bus to back up, I have to go stop traffic in New York City, which isn't great. and it's just you know buses are big vehicles they can't take the tightest of turns etc um so we go to do it again and now we're even more stuck and our driver is trying to back up and again i'm I'm blocking traffic behind him and and cars are honking and the whole thing is just stressful and calamitous and and yeah welcome to brooklyn terrible especially like you're playing like right by crown heights too so that's uh some angry people (laughs) (laughs) Well, so what ends up happening, because our driver just can't, he can't fit down this road. We were in a position where we were going to basically have to just leave the bus here, blocking the road that we're on and blocking the service road that we're trying to turn onto to have someone come and move our, take our trailer from us so we could maneuver. So what he does, and this is super illegal, but, uh, you know, whatever um he he drives over the median between the access road and the highway or the parkway and then over the median separating the directions on the parkway and turns right into oncoming traffic (laughs) because it was the only way he could get out of there and uh according to casey he yelled i'm not coming back Yeah, that's so, what because Eric said. What Eric said to me is that because uh, you guys seemed really stressed on night one, so I was asking him, like what happened, and he said that um, he's like, yeah, all of our like merch is on a bus parked like a few blocks away, and we had to carry it through this cold because it was like really really cold that night. It was super yeah, it was cold, and uh, he's like, yeah, we got to carry it. We got to carry it all the way over here, and the bus driver says, I'm not, I'm never coming back, and he just walked away. <laughs> Well, there there was no way. There's no way to explain how stressful and awful this was. And this is also over the course of like almost two hours that all this shit is going on. So it's it's very long winded, very difficult. And and me in charge of logistics and things, I'm like yelling at the guys from the venue, like, why would you tell anyone to do this? I'm on the phone with our manager trying to figure something out. Like, I'm just trying to figure out anything I possibly can to to remedy this situation as quickly as possible. And it was just a fucking nightmare. And then we ended up having to, basically because now we have lost all this time and only had so much time with four doors, we could we didn't have time to wait for this company or this dude with his truck to come bring our trailer over so we're we were just loading things from the parking lot of the brooklyn museum over to that venue that was probably 
three quarters of a mile or so. Yeah. So it was it was just a stressful day. That was that was a tough one. But then my other story that is way weird and way funny. Long time ago, so it was it was as tall as lions, arcs, bandits, and dredge. And it was a show in like Santa Barbara, I think. We get to the the venue early, like earlier than we need to that day because we have like I don't know, I think we had a, a soundboard or we we had something that the whole tour was using, so we had to be there earlier than necessary. Um, so we're hanging out, we're at the beach, we're going swimming, we're doing this, that, and the other thing. Long day. So we're first on this tour. We play by our show. I was selling merch at the time. I go and sell merch. Whoever's playing next starts. I think it was Dredge. So I go outside just to get out of the venue for a little bit. So there's like a little fenced in kind of patio thing. And then there's an opening that leads to the alley behind the venue, which is where like vehicles are parked and where there are road cases and stuff like that. So I go back and I'm just sitting on a road case, just kind of hanging out. And uh, well, the next thing I know, I'm being woken up with a camera and a flashlight in my face. And uh, this, these police officers, this cop goes, uh, he shows me like a little, you know, it's like a prescription bottle that like pills would come in, but it had marijuana in it. And he goes, oh, hi, good morning. Is this yours? And no joke, I think on that whole tour, I was the only person that did not smoke weed at all. So I'm just like, oh, no, no, it's not mine. And so he launches into this absurd line of questioning about like, well, how did it get there? What am I doing back there? He's he's asking me where the tour is going. And he's he's like just saying ridiculous things like, OK, where are you from? I'm from Ohio. Well, that's a long way to drive to play a show, don't you think? It's like, well, that, that's not how this works at all. I, so there, there was a lot of stuff like that. And then he's, yeah, he's like, where's the tour going? And I'm like, oh, we're going here, here. And then we're going to Albuquerque. Well, what do you think of Albuquerque? I'm like, oh, okay, man, whatever. So he's just asking me the craziest <laughs> shit. And it's so clear that like I'm not anything apart from was asleep that he now is just doing weird things. Where he's like, oh, well, have you been drinking today? I'm like, I had literally one beer four hours ago. And he he looks directly into the camera and goes, that explains the strong smell of alcohol. <laughs> and like all, all of this ridiculous shit. And then it, it just, it got to the point where basically everyone on the tour that wasn't doing something during the show at that time was all around there. And my tour manager at the time just came out and was like, we'll just say it's mine, man. I don't care. I don't care. Whatever, whatever. So the whole thing ended up just kind of disappearing in this really weird and chaotic way. Um, I later learned the person that had set the vial back there, where he had set it was a good 10 to 15 feet from me. So the cops pretended that it was next to me. Um, And then from talking to the people at the venue, apparently the city gives the cops the right, or at least at the time they did, this is like 2009 or something, um, gives the cops the right to just go through any business they want to with their cameras and shit. And every time they're able to actually complete what I'm assuming is basically a cable access version of the show Cops, they get a certain (laughs) amount of money for it. So allegedly I was on fucking local cops in Santa Barbara, California, being (laughs) nothing but tired and annoyed by some dude just asking me questions. 
Someone go dig that up. We'll, yeah, we'll, someone should find oh, that. Oh, shit. Please don't. That's That's got to be just awful. <laughs> We're going to have to add um, that to the vault because that, that's, that goes along with the performance that Casey and Nick did of Beauty and the Beast. Uh, then we'll have Rob on Cops and... We're gonna have a nice little, nice little <laughs> collection of Deer Hunter Vault. Uh, I know, uh, I know. Alaska has this like version of Cops that my dad used to watch, and um, I remember I like I stopped by uh, visiting him to see like what uh, what he was watching, and I just see this cop giving like someone an unbelievably difficult time just to like get something out of him, and I'm just like, man, what an what an asshole! And like the fact that they're filming it and everything, and their like faces are on display is just I don't know. Something about that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, the whole thing felt really unfair because it was like, uh, I mean, I guess I understood what was going on as far as why he would suppose that was, you know, that the weed was mine or whatever. I, I, I contextually get the whole thing, but I was so clearly sober but sleepy. <laughs> that it was just like stop asking me dumb questions why would you think i drove here from ohio this is dumb why do you want to know about albuquerque i don't understand like the whole <laughs> you drove, thing you drove all the way to california just for a little mess for one, week. that's that's what he was suggesting that i drove there to play this one show and because he was since that's how he had interpreted it he obviously knew that my intentions were far more sinister because that doesn't make any sense <laughs> <laughs> oh man he was such a dickhead it was awful i was so stressed and so agitated <laughs> see I, I don't know how it is in akron but i know uh in, in columbus and where i live in marion the the cops are really aggressive by that kind of stuff because I, I guess it's maybe just because of the opium epidemic around here, but they're really big on like uh, just questioning people for no reason and trying to find things against people and trying to pin people with stuff. Uh, or at least from my my perspective, it seems really bad. I don't I don't know if Akron's the same way. I'm not too sure to be honest. I am happy to say I have relatively few uh, run-ins with the police. <laughs> I. I the way I looked in high school, I was a you know kid with a shitty neck beard and I had really long hair and tattoos and stuff. I I got accosted by the police a lot because I guess I just looked like a stoner, but I was completely straight edge at the time. So I got my car searched a lot. Just no, because I, I get that for sure. If you leave me alone in any city for fifteen minutes, someone will try to sell me drugs. It will happen. <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm slightly offended by that, but it it would happen. <laughs> I don't know if you've been to Long Island recently, but uh, for those of you who don't know in the chat, uh, Long Island is um, it, it's split into two counties, Nassau and Suffolk. Um, Suffolk County police are ruthless. Every time that I'm like driving back from Suffolk, I'm always scared shitless because I feel like if I go just like a mile above the speed limit, they're just going to straight up pull me over and ask me a bunch of questions and everything. I mean, I just remember once that um, I was driving back from... Um, I was driving back from dropping someone off and I was driving a rental car. It was a, uh, it was like a Kansas license plate or something. And the cop pulled me over strictly because of that, even though I was going with the flow of traffic just to say that I was speeding. <laughs> and it's just like, and in Suffolk, if they find out that you live in Nassau County or like in the city, they are going, they are just ruthless and they will give you a ticket, no questions asked. And it'll usually be like to the fullest extent they can. It's ridiculous. I have heard that about uh, Suffolk County police. What are the police up like in the, in the UK? I know that there's a different like culture of policing up there. And by the way, I'm not trying to like get this all political about like anti-police or anything. Police are fine. <laughs> yeah. But like, like what are police um, like in the UK? Is it a, like when you when you look at the US and kind of see some of the controversy surrounding our police departments? Do you, does it seem completely foreign or there there is a 
a noticeable difference between the general kind of attitude of American police and British police. In general, the kind of normal police officers you get in the UK, like the ones who don't have weapons or anything, they they they, they, they don't really act as if they're about to arrest someone, you know? Like, they're, they're not looking for criminals to arrest, and that's that's kind of... I don't know if that's the right impression to get from American police, but that's always the kind of impression I've got, you know? Sorry to any police <laughs> listening, but... Any boys in blue? It, it, it seems a bit weird. They do have quotas. That's a real thing. I you see. I've always been on the fence about that because I've heard that yeah. I've heard that's a myth, and then I've heard some people say it's definitely true. And I, I just, I just, I don't know. I have mm-hmm. been told that it's real. I never bothered asking. I don't. I, you know, I don't know if it actually is or not, but that's what I was told. Yeah. And in fact, and I'm for what I, I attribute this to a quota situation. At the end of uh, the Fascio tour, I stayed in L.A. for a week with a friend of mine. And I th- I'm pretty sure I would I could pull the ticket out, but I'm not going to. I think it was November 30th. Basically, we were driving past um, the Hotel Cecil, which is this allegedly very haunted hotel in uh, Los Angeles, and I am interested in things like that. And um, I was like, I was sitting in the back seat, and I was leaning forward so I could see the hotel out of the window. We got pulled over, and I got a ticket. I got a ticket for not having my seatbelt on in the back seat. In the back seat? In the back seat. Not only did I get a ticket for this, but he also said that allegedly he was supposed to give the person driving a ticket as well. But it's just like, I've never heard of this law in my life. I'm from out of town. We weren't doing anything wrong apart from me leaning forward in the car. to Like, I'm not out the window or anything (laughs) just to, to look at a single building. And this damn ticket is $160. Jeez. I mean, that, that's a bit easier considering that most uh, people who get tickets for that, it's like 200 plus. That's crazy. Well, and then I looked up like the uh, actual violation code online and they're like, for first time violators, $20. It's like, well, what the hell is going on here? Why is this $160? Jesus. So I still haven't paid this shit because I'm trying to call them. Oh my God. I mean, I, I guess what, what are they going to do to you? Like, <laughs> just wait till you come back to California and, and put a bench warrant for you? Like, I suppose you could probably... I'm not giving you legal advice to dodge your ticket. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not that kind of person. I, I'm gonna. <laughs> if I have to pay 160 dollars, I will very unhappily pay 160 dollars. But yeah, that's the thing. Is like a lot of these officers know that if uh, if you're from out of town, that you won't go all the way back to their courts to fight it. Yeah, but it's also like I'm from out of town, so why the hell would I know that I was about to get a backseat ticket? That was the weirdest experience. And what made it so surreal too was he was talking he you know obviously we get pulled over my friend driving rolls down the window and he's talking to my friend driving as though i'm not around can't hear what's going on he's like so who's in the backseat do you know him is he related to you (laughs) like all these weird (laughs) questions and so eventually i just was like do you just want me to roll this window down (laughs) it was weird but i'm just assuming it's because it was the 30th of november oh my god he also had a really fucking hilariously cliche like it was like Officer Tango or something like that. I think. <laughs> God, that's insane. <laughs> he was just doing a job. I get it. I get it. When Rua uh, was down here, we were driving out to uh, to get breakfast, and um, he saw. I remember he was like he was paranoid because um, like I think I got a text on my phone, and I just went to go plug it back into my uh, to my head unit, 
And uh, Rue was like freaking out. I was like, aren't, aren't you scared you're going to get a ticket or something? I'm like, no, why? And turns out that over in the UK, they have overhead cameras yeah. for anyone. If you even like touch your phone, you get a ticket right away. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're unlucky enough to be, be caught on the camera doing it, then it it's quite a significant penalty on your license. And if you're like a, a new driver, I think in your first uh, few years, generally that will mean a driving ban for a while wow they're, they're really strict on it because uh a lot of, you know there's been a lot of deaths because of distracted driving yeah uh, on your that's phone so, that's so much big brother shit oh my god yeah there's plenty of that in the in the uk <laughs> i i back that though you shouldn't really be uh, so my idea is that you basically your phone becomes your key fob and you have to somehow insert that into your dash in order to use your car that's how my car is. Yeah. My car has a uh, has an Android Auto head unit. So um, when you plug it in, that basically projects like a display onto your car's head unit. Yeah, yeah. But and like, I, I have that too. It's like Apple CarPlay or whatever. But what yeah, I'm saying, what I'm saying is, you basically have to physically give your phone to your car, so mm-hmm. you can't be looking yeah. at it while you're driving. But, but what about if your phone's like broken or you lose it or something? Well, then it's not really a problem while you're driving, is it? <laughs> so you mean if, if it like detects your phone in the car and you don't insert it that it won't start or yeah that's what i mean i feel like you, you should have to get rid of your phone to drive your car mm. basically it could be an interesting idea i mean if someone if someone patents it uh you, since you mentioned it on this podcast you are going to get royalties from it so. <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's a there's a similar thing i guess with some like company vans where that there's like a, a breathalyzer type thing on the dash and it's to you know stop people yeah they can't, you have to you know give a reading mm-hmm. before the car will start i've seen those before too similar yeah something similar might might be useful i I don't know i mean i know all the uh, logistically it seems like a nightmare but i'm just saying i think it's a good idea (laughs) i don't know if the courts can do a uh can do a breathalyzer to start uh thing then i'm sure they could do something like that i guess that's just that's my biggest pet peeve when i'm in the car with somebody is when they they can't stay off their like when you have to pull out your phone to text or do something on facebook or like just just get just wait like it's especially if i'm yeah. the passenger i feel so helpless like mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah just eat their phone out the window you almost want to because you feel like a dick for saying like hey man uh i i have a vested interest in not being mangled in a pile of metal please stop that look where you're going uh, but it makes it makes you the asshole to be like because it makes you seem all uptight and yeah, who the fuck are you saying this in my car? Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. doing you a favor. So I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe that's just an extension of, <laughs> of social media culture that people feel uncomfortable when they're not constantly connected. I wonder if that has to do with just like a, a constant reinforcement of dopamine. And so when you don't have that going, like you actually feel physiological distress. I mean, you can, you can just pull over. I mean, if you have to look at your phone that badly, you, you should just pull over. It's interestingly rational, though, to understand that pulling over would be heinously inefficient as far as your commute to wherever you were going. So it's like you you so value seeing what's on social media that you have to do it, but you have such little regard for the possibility of a fatal accident or even uh, any accident would be awful hmm. that it's like, mm, I'm going to chance it. We're fine. We're fine. I've seen people even like reading books while they drive. Like it's... Uh that is the craziest shit i've ever heard 
<laughs> that happens a lot in New York traffic. Yeah, it gets pretty absurd. It's bumper to bumper. No one's moving. I've seen people read newspapers. I, I've seen people who uh, who were driving Teslas before. They had the uh, the law where you had to keep both hands on the wheel, mm. um, where they would just sit and they would like either play video games in traffic or they would like read book or something. It was insane. I, I just remember like when the switch came out and just seeing that. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's wild. That's too much. God, there was this even. Um, it, it's risque, but I, on one of our on one of the other shows that I, that I work with. Uh, someone was telling a story about how in, how a porn star had sex with a guy while he was behind the wheel of a Tesla on autopilot on a freeway. <laughs> why does that? Why does that need to happen? Like we don't, we don't. What an American! Th- like we don't have to push everything to its logical furthest point, <laughs> or rather, illogical furthest point. Even Elon Musk even weighed in, and he said, uh, "He's like, well, I should have expected that coming, but I didn't." <laughs> yeah there's something to that effect. why would that happen there's no reason that should happen <laughs> well you know rule 34 and all that <laughs> it's like the the rule 34 in real life i don't know if if uh rob is familiar with the the rules of the internet since he's not a big like internet guy i'm i'm only vaguely familiar with the internet let alone the rules so do you know what rule 34 is no i wasn't given the handbook <laughs> so <laughs> rule 34 is a uh it, it's it's like an internet term for basically if something exists there is or will be a porno made from it oh i have heard this i just didn't know i guess that it was a rule and what number and that rule 35 was. is that if no porn exists of it it's your job to make it oh, i did not wow. know that one yeah <laughs> <laughs> these these rules are bestowing a lot of responsibility onto people that they probably shouldn't have <laughs> i think i think they they originated on 4chan so i'm sure half of them are, are that horribly sense. racist and awful so well, yeah, like on 4chan, that like the rule 34 would pertain to like cartoons being turned into porn and stuff like that. <laughs> I love how this 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 conversation has gone from soccer to to internet we pornography. Have, so. We have taken a turn. We really have. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we we this are is new territory for us. Let's quit while we're ahead. We are running up on on a couple hours here, um, and and. You know, I I, th- I think we've gotten to know you pretty well. I mean, I, mostly just because people haven't gotten the chance to interact with you. I just want to make sure that people have a, a complete picture of you, just uh, what you do outside of life. So, is there anything else you want to add before we let you go? Or I have no idea what I could possibly add as a uh, brief <laughs> summation of of the parts of me we haven't touched on <laughs> until he makes a rule thirty six. Oh yeah, I don't even know what that's going to be, but I'll I'll work on it, guys. I'll want your entire well. biography from the moment of your birth up until now. Oh man, I you know I haven't read my biography in some time. So, <laughs> well, we we appreciate you coming on. Um, I, for for everyone who didn't catch the the name of his new EP that just came out yesterday, uh, was it uh, Alive and Alone? Yep, Alive and Alone. Quite literally, what was happening during the recording of the EP? <laughs> alive and Alone by uh, Aprevu, which is A P R E S V O U S. Yeah, that's on band Bandcamp, is it? Yeah, it's on Bandcamp. Buy his music, people. Yeah, no, it's 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 legitimately very very good. Like if you go listen to it, I, I promise you, you'll be impressed by it. So, and I, I don't mean to embarrass you, Rob, by giving you such high praise, but it really is very very enjoyable. So, no, I I appreciate you saying so. I, the fact that anyone has even listened to it is is very complimentary. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, we look forward to hearing more. So try not to be a stranger in the musical world. Yeah, and I guess we will be seeing you uh, this summer, hopefully. With uh, the, by the time this comes out, the summer camp will already be announced. So oh okay. Well then, yeah. Uh, Rob, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, no, I'm not much of one for uh, for plugging. I don't think. Um, 
you guys should listen to that elbow record that the giants of all you sizes should. is what it's called giants of all sizes or even just uh the kind of go-to album i guess is seldom seen kid it's also also a damn good one has a very good one well, I guess we'll get our uh, shilling out of the way. Um, we have our Facebook page. If you go to DearApparitionPodcast.com, you could find everything. It's all there. Uh, pretty much everything. We also did just start up a subreddit, uh, which I, I would really love if some people came and joined some discussion with us. We can talk about uh, whatever, whether it's episodes or, or potential guests or things you'd like to hear us cover or, or things you thought about uh, how we did. Or if you just want to insult and berate us, that, that's also a good format to do it. So, uh that's our Dear Operation podcast. I will also add that to the website. Yeah, and I guess the only thing I really have to say is uh, my band dropped a single recently at time of recording this called Umbra 3, O-M-B-R-E, Roman numeral 3. Or if there's another single out by now, which I hope it's out, uh, just go Spotify Elisions, E-L-I-S-I-O-N-S. Uh, what about you, Rue? Anything? Uh, nothing to blog uh, as of yet, but you know. Just check check everyone out. Yeah, yeah. With with our release schedule, this probably won't come out until like December. So, who knows <laughs> how many things will happen by then? <laughs> well, uh, also thank you to Area Twenty Two Productions, and uh, thank you for uh, joining us tonight, Rob. Yeah, thank you guys Thanks, for having Rob. me on. Thank you. This is an awesome episode. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sure Ruin Hunter also had a lot of fun. Right, fellas? Yes. Nudge. I did. Yes, I did. I I, always, I just have fun in life, so this is this is a natural extension. Hey guys. Awesome. Guys, well, thank you so much for uh Yeah, yeah, can you hear us? Guys, what are what are your favorite Ninja Turtles? Oh. <laughs> Raphael uh, Donatello. The the hor the horrifying versions that uh, Michael Bay put out. Oh boy. But w- but which one? I don't know which ones, but just I that This is so important, Hunter. Um what's what's the dude with the uh, the staff? Donatello. Donatello. Yeah, I like him. I beat you to it, Hunter. You got to pick someone else. I've never really watched Ninja Turtles, so I'm just going based on which weapon seems like it would appeal to me the most. You've never watched Ninja Turtles? Never watched oh Ninja Turtles. I, I was a All very... right, I got to go, guys. I got to go. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. And on that note... Thanks so much for tuning into the Dear Apparition podcast. Have a wonderful night. We love you all. <laughs>